0: Hello everyone and welcome back to our podcast Formules and 1 Jackass uh, Here adding a little bit of flavour to the world of Formula 1 It is now the, the race week for the Portuguese Grand Prix uh, Looking forward to that and with me as always I have the Jackass who is Ryan
1: And that is me, uh, hello Jackass Christopher uh, And uh, listeners at home or wherever you are, thank you again for joining us episode 5 we are on now and uh, as always don't forget to follow our social media channels which you found out that Christopher knows perfectly by now mm-hmm. but uh, we get to start this episode with a question so we have a question from mr. D Tanaka uh, which goes oh. as followed um, so let me see if I can get this right um, so yeah yeah uh, why don't you you uh, Talk more about uh, non Formula One things on your on your podcast, yeah, yeah.
0: All right, uh, we could, we could, but then it wouldn't be the formulas and one jackass. Maybe we should uh, add a bit of flavor uh, on something salty that hasn't gotten to do anything with Formula One. Just uh, here, well, and there. I mean, we I don't could, know.
1: we could, we could, we could dedicate a few <laughs> minutes uh, on non Formula One uh, related topics. So, sure. let's start with you know um contract extension of suzuka for a couple of years so tell yes. me tell me more about suzuka the, the province in japan it is in the, the the dishes that are famous from that area yeah
0: it is from uh, Mia prefecture of which i don't know much about other than they have suzuka circuit it is like in japan everyone knows suzuka circuit even if they don't know anything about formula one or anything about motorsport Everyone, like even my mom, I say, "Oh, do you know Suzuka Circuit?" "Oh, yeah, it's in Mieken, uh, Mie Prefecture." And it's like, "Oh, okay, it it is famous." And I think it has to do with all the marketing F1 did back in the 80s. Everyone loves Suzuka. Um, you know, it's Honda's test ground originally, built by uh, Hugenholtz as well, no? Who, did yes, design yes, who designed Stanford? Yeah. So, so that yeah. was
1: not really much non-F1 related factoids on on Suzuka. But uh, okay. we have another breaking news. Um, so the Canadian Grand Prix has been canceled for this year and taking its place is going to be Istanbul once is that again. confirmed? Yes, that has been confirmed just now uh, a couple of minutes Perfect. ago. So breaking news okay. for you. And I yeah. suppose we can we can talk a bit about Istanbul. Um yes, if we could. if you happen to then be in fact uh, at this very moment of time, uh, the question asker is actually, in fact, in Istanbul. Oh, yes. Uh, oh there you go. Of course. Stuck. So we can talk a bit about Istanbul. Yeah, uh, I have I have lived in the country, so I should know a bit. So let's 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 talk about the food first and foremost. So when I say mm. Turkey, everyone automatically says doner kebab. Which, to, yeah. you know, a mainland European standard is, is completely different. So our concept of dinner kebab is different, of course, from yes. the authentic Turkish uh, yes. cuisine. Um, Favourites of mine, it, it depends how daring you are in, in, uh, in eating. So mm-hmm. uh, a dish that is in, in Istanbul itself is, is kokoreç, which I would recommend. Uh, depends how brave you are. It's sort of, um, you know, don't ask, but it's, it is delicious. Mm-hmm. um another favorite of mine I would say uh it's called Monte which is uh, a, a ravioli type uh, that has a, a a yogurt sort of sauce and a, and a spicy tomato sauce on top of that which you mix together um very warm and yeah, yeah so turkey beautiful country four Absolutely. seasons terrific yeah. food uh the racetrack is is fantastic uh mm-hmm. the I mean, audience it's
0: like a, it's a it's a country that has everything basically right it's uh yeah it's a big country historically as well so much to go into istanbul you know constantinople byzantium whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it um but yeah one of those places i've never been that i actually really need to go there's so much to see there um yeah
1: yeah so we've uh i think we've answered the question successfully those are some proper yes. non-formula one related uh yes. discussion matters as it were So if you uh, listening would also like to have your question featured or have a bit of comment or or feedback that we want to discuss or you would like us to discuss in the podcast, please uh, send us a line on our social media channels, which uh, hopefully by now you also know. But we shall uh, repeat the the exact hash, no, not hashtags, at handles at the end of the podcast. So
0: stay tuned for that.
1: Excellent. Uh, let's get cracking. Christopher. Yes. Where would you like to start?
0: Let's start with the sprint races because that's now been confirmed. Okay. And yeah, it's even worse than I thought.
1: So so which flavor note would you attribute to this new sprint race?
0: I can't say salty yet because I'm not that salty. I haven't seen it yet. So that would be a bit too harsh. Um, I don't know where, where where this would land. So a give us, bit give us of, a bit
1: of t- context then about okay so the context
0: is okay so basically they want to introduce they want to make qualifying more interesting so instead of having qualifying saturday they're going to have it on friday which is the first problem in my opinion because it's one of the most exciting parts they're going to substitute qualifying on saturday with a sprint race basically a 100 kilometer race pit stop not necessary um and that will determine the grid order for the race on sunday Uh, For the top three finishers, there'll be three points for place one, uh, two points for place two, and one point for third place, which is basically minuscule. It's really like when you think about it, a fastest lap in the Sunday race is the same as a podium in the sprint race. Um, I understand they don't want to take too much away from the race itself by giving this this amount of points, but it seems awfully risky for many teams to go into sprint race. And with F1 being more about cost saving and stuff, I, I don't know if it's if it's smart it's gonna be yeah it's gonna be chaotic i think Uh, think, what are your thoughts
1: i think we can break it down into two angles which we can discuss this point firstly it is the the sporting entertainment aspect of it all yeah and then secondly as you mentioned the the cost side of it all so let's start with the the entertainment or the sporting value that sprint races are supposedly uh, are going to add to, uh, to, to, to the viewers, so the entertainment value. Um, my initial thoughts is, we've mentioned this in, in podcasts before, is is it truly necessary? Uh, I understand that the, um, the owners of Formula One, Liberty Media, wants to increase the entertainment value of, of Formula One. And sprint races have been a feature of Junior Formula, which has been successful. Um, it adds uh, a bit more competition to the to the championship as well as more excitement. But
0: More for the fans that are at the track as well. Correct. You know, there's yeah. something to watch, something interesting to watch. And I get that they want to do that in F1 as well, but I feel like there's so much money poured into F1 and everyone is going to focus on the Sunday race still, regardless. So you will have a... You're gonna have a bit of a weird situation where I think the midfield will still be fighting. The backmarkers won't care. They they literally have nothing to win. Uh, let's say they gain a couple of positions in the sprint race. They might not start twentieth. You might start fifteenth, but it's not gonna mean much, well, is I, it? It's not a big. So it's not is... a big risk to to race your car wreck your front wing um that you're you're then allowed to put back an older spec of front wing if you don't have more newer spec and they get ruined in the sprint race but like for a team like Williams would that really be wise why not just sit out the whole thing and at the top you're just going to see the the leaders trying to push really hard in the beginning make a great gap and just maintain that and just be comfortable and then whatever happens in the midfield they might be battling but not hard enough because yeah they're not going to get points for it anyway
1: Yeah, my my breakdown is is like this. This is how I view it. So as you mentioned, this is going to be implemented at three Grand prix in the year. So it's going Mm to be held at Silverstone, so the British Grand Prix, at Monza, the Italian Grand Prix, and at Interlagos, the Brazilian Grand
0: Prix. Has that been confirmed yet? Because I'm not sure if that was... I I think so. So each sprint
1: race will happen on the Saturday, 100 kilometers uh, each,
0: Mm. to
1: set the grid up for the Sunday race qualifying. Um, So depending on the length of the track, of course, not every track is uh, equidistant. So the same length. Uh, Some tracks are are longer. Some tracks are shorter. um, Interlagos being quite a short circuit. Silverstone Mm -hmm. being longer. So depending on the amount of laps that 100 kilometers would make, it is equidistant equal to you know roughly 17 to 25 laps uh, of a circuit
0: Yeah, a race. it's a third of a race because of the race is 305 so kilometers it, is, it right? is
1: the first stint normally during the race and yeah. in sprint races it's not like you know car performance or race pace of the car magically changes it's essentially still going to be the same we're going to see um the same cars <laughs> Uh, because qualifying on the on the Friday won't throw any surprises or spanners in the works if it's just a normal qualifying session. Of course, you have many different variables and factors that can influence the qualifying results, um, mechanical issues, weather, and such. But say it is a completely uneventful qualifying session on the Friday, they line up the exact same as they would normally on the Sunday. Then yeah, but even... they start racing. Sorry. Then they start racing and again it's just going to be exactly like the first stint except when they would normally come into the pits to change tires the race finishes so unlike in a normal race where they're fighting for positions because at the end of the race you know points are being handed out for the top 10 finishers they're going to have to fight for their starting place for the next race the question is how competitive is that going to be uh, i would yes. You know, in a in a one-make series like IndyCar or like Formula Two, where all the cars and all the chassis and all the engines are the same, it makes not sense. not an IndyCar, not completely the same. Well, I mean, the, the 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 chassis is the same. The chassis is, yeah. The the engine, there's a there there are two manufacturers there, but you get my drift. So the race pace yes. would would roughly be based on the the way the team sets up the car, whereas in yeah. Formula One we have uh 20 or rather 10 completely different cars mm-hmm. so it's not like it's going to change the order much and then like you mentioned the the, the risk factor that they're willing to take knowing that they yeah. have a full grand prix to, to to drive the next day how much risk are they going to commit to overtake just to start one position ahead
0: i mean this is what i see we've seen lately uh, uh, some amazing qualifying performances uh, like landon norris mm-hmm. he didn't really qualify well in the end perez as well qualified well at imola and some others that didn't qualify well had some bad qualifying issues they would be hampered in the race usually by starting further back let's say you don't get a good q3 lap in you're going to start 10th Oh shit uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the race is going to be like instead in the sprint race let's say hypothetically bottas uh doesn't qualify well but in the race he can overtake you know, damage limitation. So he gets up to fourth place or something. Uh, so for the Sunday's race, he will start fourth. Which then, what was the point of qualifying? Like all the the, the cars that are quicker that can that are, can fight better, they will just slowly edge more forward toward the grid, and it will just make the distance bigger between the teams. No, and you wouldn't really see. Yeah, I don't know. Like let's say let's say Norris qualifies P two, and qualifying sprint race begins. He gets overtaken he's down to p5 race starts he can't really move up from there like it's just going to consolidate the, the the top team's positions it's yeah i don't know it, what what's gonna i mean what the policy we're, that's gonna we're be we're
1: throwing a lot of salt here like we're yes. sumo wrestlers just about to enter the ring for sure but um we also have exactly. to quickly mention the, the cost factor of it all so as we mentioned mm. last podcast there is a cost cap in place this season and the reason why um they couldn't or rather the teams and the formula one and the fia couldn't reach an agreement on sprint races up until now was because of the the costs involved so the cost cap was set this season at 145 million without the sprint races so then if they commit to these sprint races and someone has a massive crash like Bottas and and russell had last race um, roughly it costs about a million, uh, a million dollars to yeah. rebuild the car. And yep. yeah, the formula one was willing to, to give about tens to twenties of thousands, um, to reimburse the teams. Now they've yeah. come up with a sort of insurance system that, that roughly equals to about ah. half a million per team
0: that's still not going to be enough like for the smaller teams that's going to be tough for the big teams yeah sure they, they'll need to do some cost saving as well but it'll be easier for them still to allocate resources towards that compared to the small teams. so it just seems to favor the bigger teams than the small teams
1: so that's the the, the cost aspect of it but uh, we have unanimous agreement from the teams to to trial this uh, it's it, it's worth a shot Who knows We could be blown yeah. away by it You know I'm willing to yeah. To give it a shot I question Whether the, the The tracks It was implemented in Needed it I mean Silverstone Always an iconic race Monza the same So Couldn't you have Tried this To spice up Perhaps some Less exciting tracks uh, No
0: but then again If you did this at Monaco It would make it even worse Yeah
1: true But then You know that's that that is the issue. In order to increase the entertainment factor, first look at the tracks. I mean, we're heading into uh, Portima now. Fantastic yes. track. Yes. Um, we just had Miami confirmed uh, to come up to the calendar, oh, and the layout yeah. is just the exact same. Uh, I watched the IndyCar race uh, in uh, Barber St. Pete. The, yeah. Before that, it was in Birmingham. Alabama Alabama um fantastic tracks much like uh Portugal uh, so many undulations but uh yeah short. but they're they're dangerous the Indycar that, tracks that they is, they
0: lack certain standards that are not like it's old school I, I, some, it's old school it, it's old school but and it's it's where I think they could be a bit safer the, they have something that what they really have figured out in indycar is that the cars they are they're mach- they're like crazy heavy machines yeah. to drive you have to muscle it around no power steering. it's intense no power yeah. steering not as aero sensitive but the track it's, it's really the track itself
1: is it, it just one glance you're just like yeah let's go racing you know and yeah that's it like yeah grass right next to the track and yeah. you know behind the grass there's a wall so yeah. that but that's that is entertainment like that's what yeah. we need to explore more
0: i agree we saw Imola as well like <laughs> hard punishing track super exciting race especially because it was wet maybe normally not as exciting but like lucas Degrassi tweeted out uh, a couple of weeks ago saw, yeah. or maybe after Imola after where Imola, he was angry yeah. yeah he's saying like look you can see here this is it's all about the racetracks and i think it's a very overlooked part because people want to make a racetrack in a good um cool location that's convenient so the race looks spectacular like Abu Dhabi is a great example. It's all money and flash, but the track itself, so yeah, the it look cool. The same thing with but,
1: Miami. It's all money and flash. Yes, uh, exactly. With the with the feature of the hard rock stadium of an NFL sort of thing. That's, that's not yeah. a landmark. I mean, yeah, Sochi
0: as well. Sochi yeah. is the same issue. And then you have these old school tracks, which are undulating. You, you can send someone, sat down on a map. I was like, oh, let's draw some cool lines here, see how we can test the cars, you know, and just a bit of a of an um, like yeah uh, I recently started playing Gran Turismo uh, Sport which is not something I've been into for a while it's not sim racing so it I kind of overlooked it they have a PlayStation but now I'm playing it and there's some fictional tracks there and wow the people that made Gran Turismo they know what racing tracks is about because they are fast and they're flowing and you can follow cars you can overtake there's so many lines going around and it's not artificial it's just like a roller coaster of a track and you see that right. suzuka you see that spa you see the imola you know these old school tracks they have that vibe still and maybe that's something we should look into more and on another note um there was the historic race at monaco uh recently i saw jana
1: being uh, yeah. taken into the Amazing. pitfall.
0: Amazing. Like, wow, you, you really sense how they're fighting the cars, how, how dangerous it is. And so one thing to, I noticed To provide,
1: provide ha- a bit of context to the listeners who are unfamiliar with the historic Grand Prix of mm-hmm. Monaco. Yeah, of course. So they, they race older Formula One cars. I think there's a a, a time. Uh, yeah. a bit, so it needs to be older than a certain year, which yeah. they then uh, race. So yeah. Jean Alesi is a former Formula One... Uh, driver he was racing nicolaura's ferrari from uh, the the 80 or 70, 1974 1974 yep yeah. Yeah. um and uh spectacular race i mean i i always, absolutely i always love seeing old formula one cars just the sound the yeah everything sends shivers down my spine uh, you can
0: smell the petrol you can smell the tire rubber like it's something yeah we, I don't know. are it's like, a bit
1: uh, perhaps a bit too nostalgic of, of seeing I think so i think, all we, these, are. I think know, we are you know these drivers with the mustaches having a cigarette right on the tire where yeah. in in today's society well firstly uh it's, it's the same as smoking at a petrol station you're smoking next to a, a bomb yeah so it wasn't the wisest thing but back then no one ever thought about it the, the, no. health and safety I mean, it's only issues. cool
0: now because we can't do it anymore but uh, but just to get back to the point of in, in Monaco, for instance, so the onboard looked insane because of the camera field of view, and that's something F1 needs to work on. They used to have a good onboard camera, now not so much because they want to show more sponsors, more up close, um, but the other thing, the cars are so small, they're so much more nimble. You could actually see cars overtaken Monaco in 70s F1 cars, where you'd be like, you'd be scared shitless if something went wrong, but like, they can. And that's the problem with the modern cars as well. They are too big because you can't get past on a track like Monaco. I'm sure if we could, okay, the safety is the most important aspect. So let's say we keep the car as safe as we can, maybe shorten them, maybe make them a bit narrower. The tires may be, um, I like the tire ratio to the car size now. uh, But then, of course, it'll have to decrease if the car has got a bit smaller. And then let's see if the racing can be improved. There's not going to be as much air as well because the car are smaller. And if they focus on making the cars a bit more light, they'd be more nimble around the corners. It would be more easier to follow. Um, so I think that's an aspect where maybe they should work a bit more in the future. I know it's not something you can take a huge chunk and say the cars need to be 100 kilograms lighter. No, it should be small increments, something they should maybe work on uh, as safety improves, basically. Because, yeah, that's a missed opportunity, I think. That's one really good way to make f1 uh, more exciting
1: yeah i agree uh let's elaborate that on a, on a future episode uh, yeah so for sure. from the future let's go back to the present mm-hmm. um are we out of salt right now i think we have we've, we've done a lot of salt
0: i mean there's always more salt in f1 um but uh so let's, yeah. change let's it go up. on let's, to let's, let's let's change it up yeah let's what's the next flavor ryan uh
1: let's do a bit of sweetness so okay i want to talk about honda Yes and they're, they're amazing improvements that they have have brought to the table this season. Uh, so to give a bit of context, uh, Honda is departing Formula One at the end of this year. They've announced that uh, during the winter um, 2020. And what they have done they have fast tracked the, the power unit intended for 2022 to this year. Uh, they've made modifications to the internal combustion engine, to the turbine, and to the energy recovery systems, which uh, they made it all more compact and everything is more powerful. So uh, the chief designer of Red Bull, Adrian Newey, gave the com- his compliments to the Honda team. Because it is more compact, he is able to make the car more aerodynamically efficient with the rule changes uh, in the floor and also, you know, the the... The diffuser at the uh, at the back of the car. So with everything being more compact, he was able to uh, increase the aerodynamic performance of the car. Added to that is of course the the added performance of the of the power unit of the Honda power unit, where both uh, Franz Tost, the team principal of Tauri and Christian Horner, the team principal of uh, Red Bull, so both uh, teams using Honda engines, commenting of the the performance levels of the Honda uh, engine or power unit this season is very very close to the Mercedes power units which yeah. have been uh, leading the field. So it's it's fantastic to see that that Honda is is leaving Formula One on a high note. That uh, their yes. their Respect. performances do it this way. The performances have 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 been noted, and of course, Boom. everyone talks about you know Red Bull being in front again and such. But in my belief, Honda is a big part of why they're up in front again, competitive from race one.
0: A hundred percent, and it's like we saw when Max won the Honda's first uh, victory in two thousand nineteen mm-hmm. in Austria. Like how yeah. emotional Honda was, and like grown men crying, and that's yeah. beautiful to see. And I absolutely, and I thought this is where we're gonna see Max's Honda future, and I was so excited for that because Honda really do work with the drivers when, when they, they you know, like with Senna they did yeah, back in the yeah, 80s and yeah. 90s, right? It, it was a great partnership. And Honda are such geeks and nerds and they just, they love Formula One. Um, so it's such a big shame that they're leaving, first of all. Uh, but so much respect for the fact that they actually went all in for this season. They want to end on a high note, like you said. I really hope they win the championship just because it's, it's Honda as well. Um, but it also got me thinking a bit. If they could do this this year, go all in, why did they not manage to do that in the McLaren days, like a bit earlier? Like, it took them so long. It was It's really strange. I think, of course, the organization and the structure changed completely. And the mentality of going into F1 back then was completely different. It was naive from both sides, both McLaren and Honda. But you see now that they've actually worked through the problems and have made amazing improvements i Um, think i
1: think it's also the approach so uh there is a sort of an amazon uh series that that came out before drive to survive on on netflix that specifically followed the mclaren team and then there the the struggles uh with with honda were were documented so the the product the engine was inferior but also the the strained working relations between the two because mclaren uh, at that time of course. Um, different owners, uh, different yep. team principals. They are so adamant about, you know, keeping hold of their own, manufacturing their own gearbox and uh, complete control over what goes into their car, where they treated Honda as sort of a, a power unit supplier yes, as opposed exactly. to a partner. And yep. I think Red Bull and, and the management team have learned a lot from the failings of, of McLaren in a completely different approach to to the working relationship. So
0: yeah.
1: I saw between Red Bull and Honda a true partnership. Um, yes. uh, sort of n- n- not really. So from Red Bull, we have seen a blame culture towards the engine supplier in, in, yeah. in uh, Renault uh, before, and they've learned from that as well. Um, so they knew how to approach Honda and they knew how to form a partnership
0: yeah I also think now it's really important to just mention that Honda learned a lot because there is a documentary on NHK which is the Japanese mm -hmm. uh, broadcasting corporation basically um, where they went in depth when Honda just got into f1 again and it is students with no clear structure um, there's no great leadership it is too democratic and it just seems to be that McLaren and Honda are talking two complete different languages. They are as well. You can see it in the documentary, they're talking two complete du- languages. There's not one person going in. And like an example of this is one of the, the turbine shafts or whatever uh, would cause a lot of issues for McLaren. Like it would start vibrating and it would just rip itself apart. So they found someone from Honda's uh, jet program like the, that made the, um, you know, the jet the jet engines for their planes who just came in, uh, a lady who just came in and looked, uh, there's an imbalance in this shaft, you need to fix it because otherwise it's gonna vibrate itself off. They fixed it, never had this issue again. Like this kind of thinking, they didn't even, they didn't deploy this kind of thinking when they rejoined F1 in 2015. And that's just absolutely insane. So Honda learned from that and then they put in a great structure now to actually improve step by step and make good progress. And now they have to tear it all down again because
1: yeah, Yeah. Going, going back a bit, there's also, you know, cultural uh, workings and, uh, and differences that needs to be over-bridged. Uh, yeah. I remember Jarno Trulli, former Formula One driver, talking about his experiences with the Toyota Formula yeah, One team when they that. were in Formula One, where it is just a, uh, yeah, uh, it, it ended up not being successful, even though there was a lot of budget being thrown at uh, Formula One from Honda's, uh, from Toyota's uh, side, they had the largest budget at one point, even yeah. larger than Ferrari and uh, and the rest.
0: But and they were in Germany, yeah. instead of the UK, for instance, and, for, for some reason because of good engineering, but yeah, and, they, they, they lacked something there. But looking you know, at they specifically didn't have like at a, the
1: the the Japanese way or approach to you know many different aspects. So firstly, mm-hmm. there's business. Then there's mm-hmm. engineering. Then there is inter uh, interaction with different nationalities and such. So there's, you know, for the Toyota team, even the Honda team before, you know, coming from BAR, there, there are too many obstacles to overcome and bridge uh, to ultimately be successful at the end. And yeah. what happened with uh, Honda pulling out the next year, their chassis was the championship winning chassis yeah um, exactly you know their their engine was also up to spec so i i think the 2009 honda engine and chassis combination could have also won the world championship
0: i think so and i mean honda
1: pulling out now when they have actually reached their peak uh, performance yeah. is it's, it's just it's typical just
0: honda they do that every time <laughs> that's what honda have been doing every time but this is one thing that i think europeans and westerners don't realize about honda is honda is a really green company Mm -hmm. always was and always will be like even when i was a kid the power of dreams it was all about the eco cars they make a lot of eco cars like a lot of the cars that honda make in japan they don't exist outside of japan in in, in europe honda tries to be I don't know, a cheaper alternative to BMW. That's the kind of range they're going for, which is not really working out for them, in my opinion. Um, Whereas in Japan, they make everything, right? And they've always been really into developing their own technologies and making a lot of like VTEC, for instance. Uh, But it's always been a green company. And like the Honda Insight, for instance, is big in Japan. You see it often. You don't see it often in, in Europe. Like, so the Japanese mentality of Honda has always been since like the 70s or 80s that they want to become greener, that the future is green, and Honda can play a big part of this. And this is what I have a lot of respect for Honda. It's always been part of the plan, and they've come to realize now that Formula One, with the current engine regulation, is not the way they want to pursue this. It's been simply too expensive, and it's not green enough. And once I read this interview, uh, it was from also a Japanese source, I, I I understood why Honda actually are pulling out um so, yeah, it it is it is because Honda wants to be green. Let's say in the future, if we come up with a more greener um, engine technology, I think Honda will be straight back on F1 again. Um, mm. I think it's just because of the current regs. We allow, hope allow
1: because us. Honda, to me, is needs to be in Formula 1. I've always... Yeah. I mean, really look at the rear wing it. of the Red Bulls where it says yeah. Honda. <laughs> it
0: is like... Oh, i love it like in the, the people that don't know formula one thinks honda is just a normal car manufacturer why are they competing with mercedes and ferrari but yeah they they have they have the heritage and yeah the,
1: to me my my all-time still my all-time favorite formula one engine is is the honda v10 uh, yeah. the, the sound of it even yeah. watching youtube videos it yeah it still gives me goosebumps yeah so they are you know departing formula one at the end of this uh, year um red bull is going to take over the technology Mm -hmm. and even some staff creating red bull powertrains Mm -hmm. so because the engine regulations is going to be frozen until at least 2025 there's not going to be major developments on the power unit side uh, from Mm. all manufacturers which enabled uh, red bull to take over this engine um because uh At the moment, they don't have the the in-house talent and personnel to develop it, but they've been recruiting. They've been actively recruiting. Yeah, they've been coaching some people. Yeah, so Um, the the biggest scalp so far uh, who's going to become the technical director of Red Bull Powertrains is Ben Hodgkinson, who comes over from Mercedes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mercedes, of course, being the the winning manufacturer for the past six years. Uh, The past six years, Mercedes have been the best engine of the field, so seven years since two thousand fourteen. Yeah, well, I mean this this season's still up in the air, so
0: yeah. But uh, no, but since fourteen to twenty twenty, that's seven years.
1: That is correct. Yeah, yeah. math. You know, math. Quick math. Uh, <laughs> so the past seven years, won every championship there was to win with uh, two drivers, um but he brings a wealth of experience. He's been at uh, Bricksworth, so the the uh facility of mercedes in the uk for for 20 years which uh, is yeah. insane so he's going to milton Keynes to red bull uh they've started the uh manufacturing of of the the factory on the red bull grounds uh recently so i think red bull you know they're already the the leaders in, in chassis manufacturers add in a little bit of uh engine manufacturing as well and they could be a force to be reckoned with for the coming yeah. years, I think.
0: I just want to also say, um, don't have too high expectations because always with these things, when taking over a technology and working on it yourself, uh, there's going to be some teething issues. There's going to be a lot of issues. They're only now making the factory. Uh, you know, it, it it could be a little bit too late. They might be a bit on the back foot going into the next couple of years. Yeah, but, uh, maybe, who knows, but, but-
1: maybe we see the same situation occurring when honda pulled out of formula one and braun grand prix was started like behind the scenes honda was still yeah. very supportive of it pumped in yeah, a but lot exactly. of money so, so you see so,
0: 2010 was not a good year for mercedes yeah that's true uh, 2011 yeah 2012 it got much better 2013 no but that's like also that's also
1: from mercedes side though because yeah. mercedes after braun won the championship Bought over the team, but didn't fully commit with no, investment, no. with developments and such. So
0: no, but they, they still can't just you know like even if they had committed fully and had a perfect plan from the beginning, they would still have to adjust. They would still have to use a couple of years to adjust at least. That's that's what I think with with Red Bull as well. We're going to see a couple of years with adjustment and yeah. So I hiccups. hope not. Uh, I mean I but, hope but not. Then I, again, I hope not. 2022
1: too, but, uh, is you know from from a chassis point of view a blank page. Yes. So if engine is the same, we're going to start from zero chassis wise. So everyone yeah. has a chance again. Every team yeah. has a chance again. So yeah. yeah, if if engine regulations or rather the the power unit itself largely remains frozen for the next couple of years, it's it's down to development of the chassis and how fast yeah. they can catch up. So which I'm super excited exciting. about yeah. because.
0: 2014, uh, you know, Mercedes had the best start and they just, you know, it it was compound interest, right? It just kept getting bigger and bigger, the, the, the gap they had. And uh, yeah, it'll be different. It'll only be the chassis side. So uh, yeah, very exciting for that.
1: Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the word roller coaster before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to apply the same word to Portimao because to me, yes. the track is a roller coaster. It is. Uh, I
0: mean, watching on boards. Uh, yeah the the last sector especially it's 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 insane uh i'm so excited for it even if the race is not gonna be spectacular like let's say uh i mean who knows
1: i mean but last it, it's just race amazing so to see the cars last year we went to portimao because of the COVID situation mm-hmm. uh, they just recently resurfaced the track last year which uh, mm-hmm. made it very slippery and we had a bit mm-hmm. of rain as well so mm-hmm. I, I think um what stood out to me last year was Kimi Raikkonen's opening lap yeah. where he started like down the field and just went up and up and up he was fourth uh, at one point having overtaken yeah. maybe twelve fourteen cars um because he was be on amazing. the he was on the slick tires where everyone started on the intermediate or so um taking a different strategy and that to me was just like, the old Kimi is there, like, he's still yeah. there. Exactly. Unfortunately, he, he is. couldn't sustain it throughout the whole race, but it's that flashes of brilliance which we want to yeah, see. and you
0: see, the, you see that the old school tracks, that's yeah, where Kimi yeah. comes comes out, you know, uh, Spa, always. Suzuka, you yeah. know, yeah, so, yeah, I, I can't wait to see, I, I really don't have any idea what's going to happen uh, in the race because a certain part of the track, it really suits the Red Bull, certain parts of the track really suits the Mercedes, you know, the longer wheelbase. Um, So, yeah, I think, it's the midfield that's going to be really interesting i really hope mclaren can keep up the form um let's see but I'll, as well alpha tower needs to get back strong and see what they can do ferrari did really well at last race as well um so i think them and mclaren are, are going to be quite close mclaren might have a bit of an edge here because of the mercedes engine um because there are a couple of straights that are quite important but uh, mm. let's see i want to see ricardo start to be on pace with uh, norris now if he isn't by this race yeah, I would be a bit... Yeah.
1: It'll be... It'll be tight, as we always say between these two. Yeah. But and it hasn't it, it been will that be, tight. That's yeah, yeah but thing. it will be forgivable if even this race, he's he's a bit behind, of True. course. True. Momentum is everything in Formula One. And yeah. Lando Norris just came off a podium, his second podium yeah. ever in his career. Or rather, his Formula One career. So, he's going to be riding that buzz coming mm-hmm. into uh, the coming race. And... What we tend to see is that momentum they can carry that into the next race. So yeah. we we hope and we expect Lando to be, you know, on it again. Um, yeah. this I think race both
0: drivers have actually driven this track in uh, junior formula as well, mm-hmm. and Imola uh, Lando had driven on as well. Yeah. So he has some uh, he had an advantage there. But if this weekend is going to be the same like last weekend, where Ricardo has to move away for for Lando, then we're already going to see uh, some. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, like I love.
1: I love. You know, we were very accurate in our previous podcast for predictions. So let's let's go at it again. I think the man to watch this race will be Pierre Gasly. I think yes. for him it's time to deliver uh, an amazing yeah. result. He's been he's he's always been there the last couple of races. He either just had the bad luck of 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 uh, having wing damage because he touched in the first lap in Bahrain. Uh, At Imala, the team put him on the wrong tires towards the end of the race. You know, he he did see the pace, but, you know, who knows where he could have ended up um, if he started the race on the correct tire. So I think he could have been in contention for the podium. Uh, because he is uh, he is an amazing racer, so
0: definitely top five, top six, yeah. thereabout. You know,
1: hopefully has a clean uh, opening couple of laps this race and see the true pace of the Alpha Tauri. because we've yeah. seen the flashes of speed of both Yuki Tsunoda and Pierre Gasly. We haven't seen that materialize when the checkered flag comes out and they bring mm-hmm. home the points,
0: yeah.
1: uh, the proper points. Because of course, first race, Yuki Tsunoda started didn't make uh, Q three. Uh, failed in q2 so his starting position was not great he did end up in the points but we need to see the true pace of of the Alpha Tariq car which i believe yep. is is massive you know uh potentially as good as as uh the mclaren so we know the power units we know the chassis is working well so we need to see you know Pierre Gasly in particular uh deliver this race yeah
0: like you mentioned with momentum, if they want to have a good season, they need to build up that momentum and then they need to keep it there. That's what McLaren are doing right now and they're doing a great job at that. And that also shows how mature, in a way, the team has become at McLaren. Uh, we've said that word a lot lately, but I feel that's the case. And Alpha are not that used to being in this position, um, but yeah, let, let's see.
1: You're right, momentum is everything. Momentum, yeah. <laughs> uh so let's uh let's wrap up this uh, fifth episode this podcast mm-hmm. uh, any mm-hmm. last thoughts from you christopher
0: yeah i'm so excited going back to portimao what can i say it's uh i say that for every track we go to almost it seems <laughs> but this is this is the one where i feel i've special. been re- i've been redeemed because i was talking about this track for so long a bit of a hipster here uh but yeah i'm so excited for this track
1: yeah for me uh i am happy to announce that uh Bent Fiscal has been confirmed for the entire season at Trident in Formula 2. Awesome. So we, in the first podcast or second, I, I can't remember. We're on the fifth now. But I yeah. mentioned that he only had a one-race deal at Trident at Formula 2. He's been confirmed for the entire season. And now we're just waiting for uh, confirmation that uh, Richard Frischor, Richard sure is for sure going to uh, drive the entire season. But... Nothing has been finalized yet and anything can still happen. But for Ben Fiscal, you know, young talent. Uh, it's, it's, it's exciting that he, he managed to get his finances in order, which, uh, you know, is, is fucked. that um, finances is everything in racing nowadays. But yeah. he'll be in Formula 2. Uh, they had a testing session this week, Formula 2, actually, at uh, Barcelona, I believe. Where he, he put in some good lap times. Everyone views him as a talent. So I'll be exciting to see what he can, what he can deliver when uh, formula two returns. Yeah. So formula three is up next in the calendar. Um, yes. I don't think they're at Portugal, well, but uh, no,
0: I don't know. I haven't heard anything. Uh, I know that W series is like such in six weeks times or something. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. But, but maybe that's something we should talk about next episode, the yeah. structure of yeah. the F2, F3 and uh W series and F1 Grand Prix weekend
1: possibly so as always um, don't forget to follow our Instagram which is at 4 and 1 jackass and Dot our com. twitter at 4 meals and 1
0: jackass.com jackass, Dot com.
1: jackass. Hmm? thanks so much for joining us um, and uh, as always keep washing those hands keep washing them hands Bye now